0: solace there oh thank you Lord you are my solace friend.
1: Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? That's good. If you want, we'll get started here in a sec, but take a a pause for this brief intermission. Good
2: morning, everyone. Welcome to First Christian Church. We're so glad you could be here with us this Sunday. On Mondays, there will be the spring devotional yoga from 630 to 730. Everyone's welcome to attend. Save the date for our annual Ladies' Tea on Sunday, May 16th from 1030 to 12 in Fellowship Hall. If there are any groups interested in congregating at the church on any day of the week, please contact the church office before your first meeting. That's all the announcements for today. Thank you for joining us.
1: God, we love you. We're here for you this morning. We thank you for the sunshine, for this room to gather in. Just uh, pray for Leonard today. Uh, for us to hear it, to be open to it. I just pray that all of us take a step closer here today. uh, Matt and the kids, some everything that goes on in this building and this place. sings my soul.
3: Well, how's everybody doing? Are you ready for spring? (laughs) So am I. We told winter to get lost a while back, but it's kind of come back a little bit. There was a little frost on the windows this morning. A little bit unexpected, but, uh, you know, sometimes whenever you have that transitional moment, it gets a little bit bumpy. And we've definitely been going into a transitional experience here with people coming back, and many people getting vaccinations and feeling more comfortable with gathering around people. And as uh, as we do that, we've tried to make something uh, a, a continuous, uh, stable center for us to plug into as we kind of get our sea legs again. And uh, the the approach we've had is we're going to look at um, uh, the storyline of Jesus as. He is uh, being told through the lens of the book of Luke. And as we've gone through six chapters so far, uh, it's been uh, pretty interesting to see it just ramp up for things that are yet to come. And as um, we're going through this story and we're understanding a lot about the life of Jesus and what he was called to do and the conflicts that he is facing and the words that he has to say, uh, we're going to be going through... uh, chapters um uh seven next week are or, or uh, actually seven to two weeks so we're going to finish up the the sermon on the plane and um and and there's a couple pieces here that we want to look at in this sermon and then we're going to move into seven in a couple of weeks so just so you get our bearings on where we're at and where we're going Uh, But before we get into the word, I'd like to just uh, ask you to bow with me, Uh, and you guys online as well, welcome, Uh, bow with me, and uh, let's uh, ask the Lord to be with us as we engage him in his word. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that as you came and you represented what it means to be the Father's heart embodied in flesh and blood And just everything that you are that we just described through the song that we just sang, all the characteristics of being the Alpha and the Omega, the Provider, um, the King, the Lamb, everything that summarizes your being. It's just mind-boggling, Lord Jesus, to imagine that you also, in the midst of all of those exalted titles, became one of us. And you limited all of those identities, and you focused on one specifically for three years. That was how to be a human and to live it the right way. And Lord, we are paying careful attention to what that means, and we're asking the question, how can we live a life? that is like yours? How can we reflect that life to the people around us? And so please help us, Father, as we look at the word and we ask those questions with a posture of humility and surrender. We do so, Father, because our souls need healing after 15 months of a global pandemic. We do so because the people around us need us To be like you for them we do so because we want to be a church that is like that for the world and so tune our hearts and our minds even as our musicians have tuned their instruments for this morning's worship do so father as we pray together the Lord's Prayer would you pray with me now our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen Well, as we get into the book of Luke, uh, if you like, uh, and you have a Bible on your app or on your phone or even a real-world Bible that you might carry around with you, uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 6. But before we get into that, um, I just want to think about how we look at this story with fresh eyes because sometimes it's helpful to see things from a different angle. And a good example of that is... Uh, almost uh, as a default mechanism, I can expect my wife to do this. Look at all of the... Oh, ho, 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 Oh, man. We're not even going to go there. Okay. So I will, I will keep it safe. I will keep it in order. And I promise I won't betray uh, my relationship to her in the process of this sermon. Every spring, she likes to look at the decor that we have in our house and thematically try to arrange it so that it is correspondent season. And a lot of times what she'll do is she'll take the pictures that we have on the wall and she will have me rearrange them like the picture that we had in the piano room, uh, for example, last night, was moved to our bedroom. And there is a hanging that we have about being still before the Lord that is on the back wall as you go out the door. It is now hung on the, on the other part of the entry of our house. And all these pictures are sort of relocated. And the thing I noticed is, have you ever hung a picture on your wall and you just left it there for a long, long time? You get to where you don't even see it anymore, do you? But then when you rearrange it, all of a sudden it's like, huh, something's different here. Oh, yeah, I see that picture once again. Oh, yeah, I I mean, I do see that picture once again. I see the significance of it once again. And that's what I like about the genius of what she does every (laughs) spring. I know I got a lot of work to do to redeem myself, don't I? Um, That's the genius of what she does every spring is she takes the familiar and she relocates it in such a way that it's seen fresh and significant once again. And we find that with the Bible, when we can look at the story of Jesus and say, oh no, here we go again. And so our approach has actually been, let's just look at the whole book of Luke, which is bold and audacious, and ask the question, what would it be like if we just followed him in a fresh way through the telling of the story of Jesus? And in a sense, follow Jesus through this story and ask the question, Jesus, as I'm following you in this fresh way, help me to see what I haven't seen before. And help me along the way at each turn to surrender to your teaching, the things that you would have for me and help me to let go of attitudes that I may have had that get in the way of hearing your voice through this story once again. Help me to hear it in a fresh way. And I'll tell you, I've read um, this part of the gospel many, many times. And as I've approached it with this posture of, I am right now geographically uh, in the region of Galilee right outside of a, hill, uh, a hilltop at the bottom of the, at the base of it and I'm in the crowd of people who are just bending their ear towards the words that the master is getting ready to offer and I'm listening again to what he has to say. Now, The way that, that I've, I've kind of postured myself for this, sorry for the technical aspect of this, people. Um, I don't blame Brian for any of the technical problems. It's usually the, uh, the, the technical wearer that seems to be the issue here as we've tried to explore the problems. And maybe that's why we need to look at our role relative to the church and the crowd and this moment and ask the question, Am I being obedient and responsive to the words of Jesus? Well, at the bottom of this hill where the crowd is gathering, I see 12 apostles who are people that Jesus has just chosen to represent this new community that he's going to call the church and later on become known as Christians or followers of the way. And as Jesus is coming down the mountain, and the people are gathered. We read these words, and I'm going to reset them once again because I think it's helpful to to get a fresh perspective. It says this, opening up the, the sermon, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, and when he was looking the disciples I have to ask the question what was going through his head what did he see when he saw them and I think he saw two things I think he saw people that were fishermen tax collectors zealots and just everyday people in that mix I think he saw people that would not get along under any other circumstances except for the fact that they were devoted to Jesus. But you know what else I think he sees is what they are about to become. They are the foundation for what is later described as the bride of Christ. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding, which I'm sure most of you have, And maybe even in this building where you've seen as the music is played and the doors are open and the bride comes in and everyone stands and they gaze upon the bride as she is being ushered in to meet her groom. And there is something beautiful about that that is the anticipation of a covenant that is about to be created. And in time, a community that will be created through that union. There is something special and sacred and mysterious about that. There is the bride who is set apart for her groom. Her one and only, his one and only. And when Jesus sees the 12 apostles, metaphorically speaking, he sees the foundation for what would become his bride. A worthy mate that metaphorically represents him here on earth. Is a reflection of his presence here on earth is a bride that responds out of love and devotion to a groom that gazes upon her with eyes of deep and profound love. That's what Jesus sees, I I believe. I am very confident, actually, that he does. But like so many things, when he looks at the twelve... You could almost be like yeah there's a there's sort of a dream sequence here but then he snaps into reality he's like is this even gonna work i mean how many tax collectors like to hang out with fishermen who've had their taken money taken away by the tax collectors how many zealots like to hang out with fishermen who stink and tax collectors that uh they want to kill you know it just is a terrible mix but I believe that vision of what is possible in the mind and the heart and the eyes of Jesus can come a, become a reality if certain things are brought to bear upon that relationship. And so the very words that Jesus expresses in this sermon are the words that challenge those who would be part of that that, that bridal metaphor that would be worthy. But there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do for them. And let's be honest, there's a lot of work to do for us because we're not in that space where we represent God's heart and reflect it perfectly. So how does he get there? This sermon, I think, really is a way... To show us that there is a kind of power and love and transformation that is about to get underway and these are the steps that are taken. Last week we talked about the blessings and the woes and hopefully if you saw that message you know how so much of those things actually fit hand in glove to the way our, our world is right at the moment. Well, let's just explore these words for a few minutes and see if they relate at all to the world that you and I live in. So here we go. In this part of the sermon, Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away from your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do to them. Well, I'm going to stop right there in this part of the sermon because you've probably heard these words before from Matthew's uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And if you have, uh, you've probably scratched your head like I have. Like, what does he mean by turn the other cheek? What does he mean by give your cloak and your tunic? What does he mean by giving of your goods to somebody whenever they're taking them? What, what, What is that all about? Well, The one thing that was pretty common in the Mediterranean world, because they love conflict over there, and we know that. We just hear the news, and we know even in the Middle East, it's always conflict. And the conflicts are generally about balancing the scales, about righting the wrongs, about getting even with people that have have wronged you or responding to other people in kind in some way. It was the law of lex talionis, which some uh, refer to it as just, yeah, that's how they function. It is a balancing of the scales. It is a zeroing out of the accounts. If somebody hits you, hit them back. If somebody takes from you, take back from them. And you kind of get the point, don't you? It was an honor-shame culture, which meant that it was a dishonor to do these actions against another person Unless um, you're provoked, you have a responsibility in an honorable way to respond in kind. Now, I don't know about you, but um, some things you don't have to teach. Like revenge. Um, do you know if you've had kids and one kid takes from another kid or one kid draws in marker a modification of a work of art of another kid what do they do do they say i need some guidance here on what i need to do at this moment or is there something in their gut that just says hey you know what you marked on my paper i'm going to mark on your paper and if you have kids right now maybe you're a little triggered because you're thinking oh man he's going there because I just broke up a fight before we came to church this morning in the car, and now we're at it again. But the point is, it is not hard for us to tune into giving back in kind for what has happened to us. And essentially, that is human nature. That is the way we get along or don't get along. It is the way of revenge. It is the way of justice. It is a way of retribution. Matter of fact, um, if I could real quickly, there's a quote from Leviticus uh, chapter um, uh, eight, 19 uh, that I want to read just briefly, because if you were a Jewish person and you grew up in the synagogue, uh, this, is, this is what you would learn. Every kid learned this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay, so what are you reading there? Basically, if you're Jewish, don't do that. But try to work it out. Try to get along. Don't don't return an eye for an eye. Don't return a punch for a punch. Don't return a theft for a theft. But take care of your own people for crying out loud because it really is sort of an us versus them world and if we're not all getting along together there's no way we're going to survive in a world that is working against us and has for generations so the teaching was be kind to your own people and I get it under that set of Circumstances that they had just gone through with uh, coming out of the land of Egypt and going through the Red Sea and having Pharaoh's army destroyed in the collapse of the water upon them and uh, the joy and the celebration, the jubilation of being finally once and for all delivered. And God is saying, now we got to take care of our people. But it's one thing, to take that experience in that context and make that just a, a rule for all things at all times because God was trying to bring them along, but he was actually having his sights on a day when they would, they would be in an even more elevated place. And I think that's where we land with Jesus. Jesus. Because Jesus is trying to take that teaching, which was so familiar to everybody, and he was basically trying to transform it into something beyond that. So essentially, when he says, turn the other cheek, he's not talking about Jewish people all the time. He's talking about everybody all the time. Now, there was a time in the synagogue when if you got slapped like that, it meant you were expelled from the synagogue. It was an act of humiliation. And in an honor-shame culture, to be kicked out of church would be something that would be totally unbearable because you would be separated from your community. But then there were also the Roman soldiers who would see you along the way and they would, they would call you something derogatory, and then they would, they would slap you like that. And Jesus would say, give them the other cheek as well. And they wouldn't know what to do with that. Or they would, they would take your clothes. And if you just said, okay, if you want my cloak, have my tunic as well. Now, do you know what people wore in Jesus' day underneath their tunic, boxers or briefs, depends, nothing, he's just basically saying, give it all to them, and they will be so confused by that response that it will signal to them something about who you are and where you're coming from, and it will definitely not register with them that you are coming from a completely different place. And we're about to get into where that place is because it is a place not of transaction where you return kind for kind, but it is a place of transformation where the love of the groom for the bride is so powerful. That the bride can only respond in kind and that's where he's going with this well getting back to our scripture real quickly let's uh let's move into the next part of the text he says if you love those who love you what benefit is that to you referring back to the teachings we find in leviticus for even sinners love those who love them and if you good and if you do good to those who do good to you what benefit is that to you for even sinners do the same you kind of get where he's going here if you're going to be a new community and you're acting like everybody else how are you going to be a new community what's the difference what's the difference between christians and everybody else i gotta tell you i think there are a lot of people who are not in church today, because they ran up against Christians who didn't seem to know themselves, and they treated people like everybody else treats people. Now, if that's the case, then why should we even be here as a unique people, as a aliens and strangers in this world as people that are identified as peculiar. What's so peculiar about us? Well, we're about to find out because as Jesus is saying this, he's saying basically, there's no point to the things that I'm doing uh, if, if it only results in everybody just acting like they did before they met me. and sadly one of the reasons why people are just dropping off from church and some people have said even that church attendance is going to be 50% of what it was before i don't know i hope it'll be more here but you know i'm i'm honestly kind of worried the reason it's dropped off is because at the end of the day a lot of people said during the pandemic i'm not going to church mainly because I've noticed it doesn't really matter. And other people have said, I'm not going to church because the people that I see going to church are just behaving like everybody else. And then there are some people who go to church that say, I go to church because I know that my life is not where it needs to be My relationship with other people is not where it needs to be. My heart is not where it needs to be. My selfishness is not the space that I want to live in. My narcissism is something that is getting in the way of my health. And there's just a lot of reasons why people are saying there has to be a better way. And Jesus is telling us in a fresh way, hey, if you're paying attention, I've moved the picture from this wall to that wall. Look at it again and ask the question again as I'm speaking to you again. What am I saying to you right now? And the thing he's saying to you and I is there has to be something different about this community of people that's a step above community of the world and he says if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive just moving on um, to the next what credit is that to you even sinners lend to sinners to give back the same amount but love your enemies and do good and lend expect nothing in return and your reward will be great And you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Now this is really starting to open it up for us. And I hope that you're paying attention. Because what Jesus says here has to define the community of First Christian Church as we move forward or we've wasted our opportunity to ask in a fresh way, what does it mean to be called the church of Jesus Christ here on earth for the world? In those verses that Jesus just spoke, just a few short sentences, not more than five seconds worth of words, they pack a punch. Here's a quick question. How long was the sermon before the Gettysburg Address? Anybody know? You're like, hmm, that's a stumper, Pastor. I'll get on my phone and I'll check. Okay, I'll make it easy for you. How long did it take for Abraham Lincoln to say the Gettysburg Address? Anybody know? couple minutes tops the guy before him about two hours so you know twice as what i do so hey but which one do you think people remembered that of course is just a no-brainer many of you memorize it in school four score and seven years ago our fathers founded on this All right. That's all right. You don't have to know that, but you do have to know this, okay? So let's back up for just a second, Brian. He said, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Now, who, who is your enemy? I would say by his definition, it's not the person that you hate because as a Christian, he's already said, You can't be hating on people as much as you feel tempted to. You can't be revenging on people as much as you feel tempted to. You can't be getting even with people as much as you feel tempted to because you're called to love them. So, who is your enemy? Your enemy is a person who says, I'm that person's enemy. That's your enemy. And your response to your enemy should be what? What? Oh, we have work to do. Can we move that screen over there? Love, right? Am I right? Okay, all right. So you got it, and you're like, please, I don't like the sermon, Pastor, because there are people that I need to get even with, and this is not working well at all. But that is the whole point, because we feel it. And he said... Something about our identity in this passage. What does this say about your identity and mine? What what are some identity words in that passage? I'll take a drink and play some Jeopardy music, and you can tell me. Is there anything here that tells you who you are? Sons of the Most High. Sons and daughters of God. Now, when people see sons or daughters, and you are the mother or the father of the sons or daughters, and your sons or daughters are acting up in the store, what are you thinking? Or they're acting up in some high profile public place, and you're thinking, they're not my kids. And have you ever thought that? I don't know whose kids those are, but whoever has them, they should do something about that because they, you know, they need to put all those clothes back on the rack again. Shame. And then while nobody's watching, you go and put the clothes back on the rack again. You feel almost like disowning them sometimes, but you don't because you know your parents actually didn't disown you, right? Because they had their moment, as we have ours. And God definitely has his with you and I. Where he's like, can't believe it. Here's people that don't know Jesus. Here's people that say they know Jesus. I don't know. There doesn't seem to much difference here. And God is saying to you and I, he's not just saying step it up. And you know, there's a passage in here that Matthew talks about, be perfect as I am perfect. Have you ever heard that phrase before? And you're like, oh, my goodness, I can never be perfect as a Christian. How can I bear the burden of anxiety knowing I can never be perfect in every way? But just so you get a little bit of relief from that anxiety that you may have, let's go back to the next page again quickly, Brian. He says, be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. He's basically saying, in your ability to be merciful, be perfect. And the definition of mercy, if I understand it correctly, is not getting what you deserve. And God looks at you and I and he says, you deserve to be taken to the woodshed, because you are just not in that space that I created you to be. And you're acting up. Some of you are zealots, some of you are fishermen who don't care about going to the synagogue. Some of you are just sort of like, yeah, whatever. But all of you are sinners, you're just missing the mark time and time and time again. But I'm gonna call you into a way of life where every time you make a move, you hit the mark. You're going to be different. You're going to be holy. You're going to be set apart. See, when a bride comes down the aisle, she is set apart for her beloved and him only. And then something happens. Now, I'll tell you something about myself. I met my beloved, and I'm a changed man. <laughs> And she's still working on me, as you know. And and that will continue for a long time, till I meet the Lord. But I am, I am, we're still together after all these years. So there must be something there that changes you. Jesus doesn't just change us, though. He transforms us because if Jesus was out to balance the scale, he would only give you as much love as you've given him, and that would be it. You better try harder because you ain't going to make it. Now, Jesus says, I'm pouring it out. You don't deserve it, but I love you. I love you so much I can't contain myself I love you so much I'm going to spend three years just telling you day in and day out in every way shape and behavior imaginable I love you and my only concern Jesus would say is I'm totally annoyed by people that don't get why I'm here and of all people, it was a religious people who a lot of times didn't get it. It was like, we, we don't see you, Jesus. You're, you're painting on the wall that we've looked at over and over, and you're, you don't register anymore. And what Jesus is trying to do is snap us out of our selfishness and out of our stupor and out of our own ways that are not his ways that are actually not helping it, us at all and calling us to something better. Well, I'm going to end this sermon, this is so good, by asking the question, what happened to the 12? And what happened to the people that were with the 12 and that multitude of listeners? Well, believe it or not, 10, 15, 20, 50 years later, people were looking at Christians and they were saying they are different in these ways. Now, Larry Hurtado, who is a very well-known uh, scholar and historian, uh, world-renowned, looked at Christianity and its effect on the people that were within the orbit of Christians. And these were the tangible things that they saw. So let's just put the list up there that he had. This is what they discover. The early church was a multiracial community, which meant that there was neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, Scythian or Persian, and there are different lists in the Bible that say when you go to church, you're going to see all these different people. And nowhere would you find a self-respecting Jew hanging out with a Roman or a Roman hanging out with a, with a, with a person from Crete or, you know, on and on it goes. You wouldn't find a tax collector saying, I'm going to pass communion to my brother here who happens to be a zealot that in another life killed a family member. You wouldn't have any of that stuff. This isn't just a change community. This is a transformed community. There is something that got underneath their skin that said, I have to love even though the accounts say I should retaliate. I don't feel like doing it, but there is something inside of me that says I want to do it. I didn't tell you about the part where the Holy Spirit comes in. And all of a sudden, you start to see things through the lens of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And when that happens, you don't see life the same at all. You don't see people the same at all. You see people as people. I don't like the moment that we're living in where everybody's broken up into all these categories. This person is that identity, and this person is that identity, and everybody needs to be just towards this person and, and not be so unjust. Let's just call people people. That's what the Bible says. They're people, like you and I. We're just people. So, those lies out there about dividing people up, that's not from the Lord. And so when people gathered, they met at a higher ground, and that was the foot of the cross. And then when they looked at the poor people around them, when the Romans were saying, you don't count for anything, they were saying, how can we help you? What can we do? And so one of the markers of First Christian Church should be, we don't discriminate. The second one is, if there are poor that we are aware of, and there are people suffering that, are, that we're aware of, we have a moral responsibility to pay attention to that. And then they were known for forgiveness and reconciliation. One of my favorite titles on a, of a book that I will not have on my shelf is called Great Church Fights. You like that? Great Church Fights. Isn't that awesome? That's inspirational, isn't it? Can you imagine? They're so busy fighting that they're not even thinking about their mission at all because they're too busy fighting. These guys are like, we are united in Christ. We are working together to care for the people around us. We have eyes on our community. And when somebody comes and let's say they painted, and let's say they painted some graffiti on the church. And we're like, we have security. Gotcha. We're like, why do they do that? And if we had a chance to talk to them, maybe we could see that, you know, I think they just need the Lord. But the forgiveness and reconciliation also has to happen in here. Time and time and time and time again. A couple more things. Committed to the sanctity of life. Here's a real world example of how that would occur. Abortion in that day wasn't really too much of a thing as much as exposure of newborn children. And the Romans would actually have a place where you could post a child that you had born into the world that you didn't want. And if somebody wanted a child that had been discarded, they would go to that location and they would find the child that had been abandoned because it was legal for the Romans to do that. If you were a child, you didn't count as a human being yet, not really till about 12 and then you're pretty safe. But until then, if anybody's under 12 here today, be thankful that you weren't born in a Roman Empire, because your parents could say, yeah, you know what, we brought you into the world, we can pull you out. Now they put the child there, and you know who would pick up the child that was abandoned? Christians. They would just be waiting, and they would take these kids, and they would take care of them, and they would say, you are human beings. Regardless of what the law says, you are a real person made in God's image, and you are sacred. And we try to do the same with supporting Sophia House and things like that. But Christians were the only ones doing that. They were transformational in their attitude towards humanity. And then finally, they offered a sexual counterculture. And I'll just be very blunt, but not graphic. We have been behaviorally and consumerally manipulated into thinking that sex is about what you can get. If you have this, you can have it. If you do this, you can have it. It's all about how can I get it because it's all about creating a a desire so that you can consume it. But a Christian doesn't look at it that way. They look at it as reserved for the covenant of marriage, and they look at it as something that you give to another human being. I would say you can't even give it to another human being until you've given of yourself to that human being. You follow? The significance of what I just said? Because we've lived in this sexual revolution where it is like recreational, primarily and only. But for a believer, we're like, hey, married for life. I know we make, I know there are reasons why divorce happens, but if we can help it, if at all possible, the covenant that you make between yourself, As husband and wife and God is a covenant that he will help preserve. But our attitude towards it should be, how can I give of myself to the other in covenantal love? I hope that blows your mind a little bit. I don't have the emoticon But you guys have been told lies, we have been told lies about the role that sex plays in our lives. And that's why people are so dissatisfied, because they're doing it wrong. The early church, they knew how to love. They knew how to care. They knew how to forgive. They knew how to reconcile. And they knew how to look at other human beings as human beings. Isn't that weird? Aren't you glad we don't live in a moment like that? We need the church, people. The church is needed by the world. Because the world right now is struggling. The world is struggling like a drunk person trying to walk. It's like struggling like a drunk person trying to talk. Of all people, we should be so reminded. Because we have the way, because we are in love with the one who is the way because he is even more in love with you so that's point number two of Jesus' Four-point sermon. The Apostle Paul was actually the inventor of the three-point sermon. Because we remember things in three well. And you're probably like, I don't remember what three things you said, Pastor. Well, just remember this. The golden rule is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. But that actually isn't what the golden rule is here the golden rule is love your neighbor as jesus loved your neighbor that's a little different isn't it once you say that with me love your neighbor as jesus loves your neighbor let's say it this way love my neighbor as jesus loves my neighbor And if we can do that, and we all need to have that picture moved in our, in our house to a place where we can see it fresh so it can speak to us and maybe even, even, even kind of jab us a little bit. He's calling us to be the church in this moment because the world is not doing good. I just hope that as we go through Luke, you're following him like many of us are trying to follow. And if this is the first time that you've committed yourself to that, maybe, maybe you need to follow him into baptism or into a space where you are now clearly and once and for all identified as a son or a daughter of God, and we want to leave you to that space also. Well, I'm out of time, so I'm going to close and we'll move on next week with better parts of the sermon. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, as we just take your words of loving our enemies, giving to those who ask and not asking for things in return, help us to look at our relationships not as a transaction for What we can get is equal to what we give, but rather transformational in terms of as you have loved us, we love other people no matter what. And I pray, Father, that you help us as a body to just let that sink in as we follow you in obedience. And I pray this in Jesus' name.
2: started off his sermon this morning and he was talking about uh, about his wife I got to be the brunt of a lot of that as a kid because my dad was a minister of this church but all throughout this sermon today I I'm gonna get to talk about my dad a little bit because it made me think of one thing so and, and I'll try to be brief about it but back back when I was in high school we moved here when I was a freshman I there was a, a pretty good uh, group that used to hang out here at uh, the church in the morning and uh, smoke cigarettes and uh, left, left a pretty good mess out there at the entrance and everything. And it was, it was a group that probably didn't get, a, get the right attention from a lot of people. And uh, you, know, they, you know, you don't know what those kids were going through at home. You don't know what they were experiencing that uh, somehow they, you know, uh, felt, you know, they had a common thread and they would hang out over here. So, my dad, of all people, would—he—he uh, he befriended that, that group. He actually got them to start throwing their cigarette butts in a can. He didn't—he—he uh, he didn't treat them any differently. He treated them just like he would want to be treated. Before you know it, they're they're having donuts together inside here, and and all the while, you know, I'm kind of thinking to myself as a high school kid, I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? But. All he was doing was exactly the same thing that Leonard preached today. He was treating those kids exactly the way that he wanted to be treated. And I I think that that's probably one of the greatest examples that Jesus could ever give us is just as Leonard said and the Bible reads, that golden rule. And so today is, this is a time of our service where we, it's almost like, our Easter again, we celebrate uh, our, our Savior's death on the cross and resurrection, and we do that through communion, and it's at this time that we'll, I'm going to ask the blessings upon those elements. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the example of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that uh, you would help us to continually, re- continually be reminded of his death on the cross and his resurrection. We ask you your blessings upon this cup and this loaf in your son's name.
1: we'll stand and we'll sing one last song praising God that he is greater and stronger than anything that will come against and everything. We love you and we pray to Thank you for this time. Amen. You know what? We got Digging Deeper here starting pretty soon. Now we will see you next week.